want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're talking about the new covenant. We're talking about right now the new covenant works that we have because the Bible differentiates between dead works and good works. And that's what we are delving into, if you will. We're laying such a, a deep foundation in this because I want you to understand it thoroughly. So when we come to Colossians chapter 3, there's a tremendous exhortation that is given to us in this chapter. And he says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And, and that means to put to death, to, to, to refuse it. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. It's talking about the members of your body, your, your, your lust, your, your hands, your feet, your eyes, things you would watch, things you would touch, places you would go, the things in your, in your, your fallen nature, that fleshly carnal nature that would war against the things of God, mortify that. And it, and he gives a list of fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, all these things, idolatry. The wrath of God comes on this and on the children of disobedience. We walked that way. We lived that way. But thank God the Lord has delivered us and he has saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. But not only those things, but there are other things. We like to point at that. We like to pick those sins out, you know. Oh my gosh, did you see somebody smoking in the car sitting there right before church started? We need to preach on that today. We need to preach on this today. We need to deal with the other things like that. But yet, there are things in the body. Anger, verse 8, uh, is there. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying. All these things need to be put off. Whatever is not Christ. But here's the beautiful thing. It's not the abstinence of what is bad, but it's putting on what is good. It's, it's taking off the old man and it's putting on the new man is what we're supposed to do. And this is our life. And it comes forth in verse 12 as bowels of mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness and long suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If anybody has a quarrel, you forgive just like Jesus forgave us. And above everything, you put on charity, agape love. You put that on because that's Christ. And that's who we're supposed to wear. That's the spirit of God. And so the peace of God is to rule in our hearts. And we're called to this body. We're, this, this is to be manifest among ourselves. And the word of God is to dwell in us. And it's to be rich in us. And beloved, I encourage you, get into the word of God. Read the Bible more than you read your devotions. Read the Bible more than you read Christian books. Read the Bible. Get into the Bible. Know the Bible. There's a lot of deception today. There's a lot of doctrines of devils today. There's a lot of mixture and a lot of confusion. Get in the word and stay in the word so that you can discern the right and the false and that you will know that by the Holy Spirit. 
And so we're also to sing and we're to be joyful and we're to worship God and to live a spirit-filled life and we're to do everything in the name of the Lord and to give thanks to God. And this is, this is what it is to put on Christ. And I say that to you this morning because as we talk about the new covenant and we have been talking about new covenant works and we've spoken a lot about grace, which I would never give you anything but grace because you're the people of God and I would never give you anything but grace. And and remember, grace is the divine influence of God upon our hearts and upon our lives. And for you as a child of God, a daughter, a son of God who has been born again, I would never put you under the law. I would never put you under a carnal obligation. But I want to put you in the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That when it tells us to forgive as Jesus forgave us, not one of us can do that in our own power. We need the power of God to do that. That's grace to be able to do it. To be kind, to be tenderhearted is grace. To be mean, to be evil, to be wicked, to be unforgiving, to be calloused, that's our natural self. We don't need the devil to make us do that. That's just the way we are without Jesus. But the grace of God helps us to be able to live in the character and in the influence of Jesus Christ and to behave the way he would behave. So I want you to understand this very, very importantly because there's a lot of things about grace that's out there. And I don't even consider those things to be really grace. But for the sake of this argument, I would say to you that whatever comes across to you as grace and it teaches you that you don't have to go to church because you're in grace. You don't have to read your Bible because you're in grace. You don't have to live a moral life because you're in grace. You can do whatever you want because you're in grace. Number one, you're not in grace if that's what you're thinking. That is not the grace of God. The grace of God is not a license to sin. And it's, it's sad that we have to say that because there's so many Pharisees in our church that are so afraid that if you give the people grace, then they're going to live however they want to live. So we got to keep them under the law and we got to keep them under Moses to make sure that they strive to live a holy life. And that is not the new covenant. That is a mixture of the new covenant and the old covenant, which eventually you lose everything. And so when we read in Colossians chapter 3, mortify therefore your members. How do you do that? Is that something that you do? Do you have the ability to do that? And I don't think we do. I don't think we have the ability to mortify our members. So in Romans chapter 8, a very familiar and, and passage that is of the same intent as Paul was writing. He tells us this, and I want you to read it with me. Because... When he comes into this, he says in verse 13 of Romans chapter 8, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So how do we mortify our members? By the Spirit of God. You can only do that by grace. Because every action of the Spirit of God in your life is the act of grace. And so if our members are to be mortified, if we're to put off inordinate affections and lust and everything else and unforgiveness and bitterness and cruelty, then we need the Holy Spirit to put that down in us. You need to have a spirit-filled life. Very few people have a spirit-filled life. Very few Pentecostals have a spirit-filled life. 
And I pray that we would desire this for the abundance of grace that can be in our life. Back in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So does God now that you're in the Spirit really not care for the desires of the law? Because now you're in the new covenant and you're under the grace of God and you're now in the Spirit of God, does it mean that the things that God asked and demanded of us under the law of Moses is now no desire of God whatsoever for us? That's absurd. Because that would mean that we could have any God that we want. We don't have to have one God. We could have many gods because in that logic, we are now under the new covenant. Or we could commit adultery or we could commit murder or we could lie. We could cheat. We could do all of these things. And so I want you to understand that the law is not evil. The law is good. The law is holy. The law came to us from God when we were in a lost state So that we could know that these are the desires of God in the way that he created us. But we've fallen from that. We don't practice that. We don't practice one God. We don't practice, you know, morality. We don't practice honesty. We don't do that. However good you think you are, that is not the practice of our life when we were without God. And now that we've come into grace and we've come into the new covenant, the desires of the law that you will have no other God but God, that that you would not cheat and you would not lie and you would not murder and you would not lust, now that power has come to us through the Holy Spirit where these things can actually be a part of our life. But not for us to boast, because what flesh could boast when it's grace? It's just the grace of God. And it doesn't mean that we do this perfectly. Our perfection is Jesus Christ. And our righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're learning. Sanctification is just simply learning to grow in grace. It's simply learning to rely more and more upon the Holy Spirit. And so there's many failures in our life. There have been times this past week that you chose another God beside God. That God was yourself to do something you wanted to do. Regardless of what God said, you chose another God. It doesn't mean that you're now lost and you've fallen from God and you've fallen from grace. Because the Holy Spirit in you, who is sanctifying you, is, is, is disciplining you back to the one God. You haven't denied God, but you just served another. You served yourself. I served myself. And that's an offense to God. And so I want you to understand that now that we're under grace, it doesn't mean that we can just do anything that we want to do, live any way that we want to live, because God just has all this covered. In in verse 13, he says, if you live after the flesh. And I want you to understand this. In this context of Romans chapter 8, all right? 
There are other times when Paul and Peter and John write about the flesh and it's not written in this context. But in this context, what does it mean to be in the flesh? Because if we don't define this and understand it the way Paul's talking about it, then you might think that you're in the flesh Monday morning when the traffic is horrible and there's a massive conspiracy of, from getting you to work. Everybody that's got just all the time in the world is driving in front of you, letting everybody in, stopping at every green light and refusing to go because they're on their phone. And you're just getting phone and you're just getting so irritated. Why don't you just go, you know, and all this stuff. Oh, my gosh, I'm in the flesh. I'm in the flesh. Or you see something and it it stirs up a lust in you. And now you're overcome with that lust and you're thinking about that lust all day long. You say, oh my gosh, I'm in the flesh. That is not the context of Romans chapter 8. In other epistles that Paul might have written, that is the context, but not in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he's talking about a new covenant life. And that new covenant life is this, you are either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. You're not in and out. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. And if you're in the flesh, you're at enmity with God and you are in death. And if you're in the spirit, you're reconciled with God and you are in life. And so this is, if you will, I want you to see this. It says in verse 5, they that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So it's not this... Loss of temper on some given day. That's not what he's talking about. He says this, and I want you to see this. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So in the context of Romans chapter 8, when Paul's talking about flesh and spirit, he's not talking about this this enticement of your lust and and you fail. He's talking about you're standing with God. You're either born again or you're not. And if you're not born again, you're in the flesh. And if you're born again, you're in the spirit. Period. Praise God. That's good news. And so now we are this. And when you're in the flesh, you cannot please God in verse 8. doesn't say they won't try. Galatians talks about Pharisees and lawyers and many that tried to make a good show in the flesh. They tried to. They tried to do the things of God. They tried to fulfill the law in the flesh, but they couldn't do it. So I just want you to see in Romans chapter 8 and Colossians chapter 3, I pray that you realize this. Said all of that so that we can understand that we are not under the law, but we're under the Spirit. And the Spirit of God does not want us to have many gods. He wants us to worship the one true God. And the Spirit of God does not want us to murder. And the Spirit of God is not so much concerned that you abstain from murder, but grace goes further. I don't want you to hate anybody in your heart. Because that's the spirit of murder. And and the Holy Spirit does not want us to commit adultery. 
But he's not so much concerned about the abstinence of adultery as much as he is concerned with the lust that might exist in our heart that is inappropriate. And so when you discern the lust that's in your heart or the hate that's in your heart, what do you do with it? You take it to the Spirit of God. You take it to grace. You don't want this here. I don't want this here. You are the Savior. I'm not. Deliver me from this. Remove this from me. And God goes to work. And he does it. And it's beautiful what God does. And and our life is a life of freedom. And it's a life of joy because all of our hope is in the Lord. So I want to establish this just a little bit more. Back in Romans chapter 4, I want you to see in verse 15. Because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. And so you understand, I hope, that you got to get out of the law. If you don't get out of the law, then you're under something that is working wrath. And the law will deliver no one. The law will condemn everyone. So you got to get out of the law. And be free from transgression. And that is what Jesus did for us. God did for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He didn't wink at our sin and pretend we never did it. He put all of our sin on his son Jesus Christ. And absolutely judged it with all of the fury of his wrath. Not only did he put our sin on Jesus. But the Bible says in Colossians that he circumcised our flesh. And nailed it to the cross with Jesus. And he punished you. And you died. With Jesus. In the cross. And because you've identified yourself with Jesus. When he was buried. You were buried. You were put away. You didn't get away with your sin. It was judged. And then when Jesus rose on the third day, you rose with him. You were raised to life with Jesus Christ, to new life. A life that is now no longer under the law. Why would you be under the law? The law's sentence was paid in full through Jesus Christ. So God's not going to judge you again when he's already judged you in his son. But if you don't believe in Jesus and you're still in the flesh then this judgment is still coming to you. And the law, the right use of the law, is to be used to unbelievers and sinners who do not walk with God, they walk in the flesh. Because it's the only thing through the Holy Spirit that can speak to them of their need for salvation. So, he tells us, if you would continue in chapter 6, verse 14... For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. Praise God. Now we're not under wrath. Transgressions are removed. You're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Even Paul had to address this. And that's when you know you're preaching true grace. When there are those that may consider you can live however you want. Because that's what they took from Paul's messages about grace. And Paul had to clear it up. And he had to let them know that no way 
do we live in sin now because we're under grace? Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, there's obeying. And so we understand that in the new covenant and under grace, we do have to obey. But the power to obey is from the grace of God. You are the servants of whom you obey, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. And so we thank God that we're not the servants of sin. We used to be, but we're not anymore because we've obeyed from the heart. Not from the flesh. Because to this day, there's not one person in this room that has obeyed to the flesh. But you've obeyed in the heart. That doctrine which was able to deliver you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And the salvation that God gives us through him. In chapter 7 verse 4. Wherefore my brethren. You also are become dead to the law. By the body of Christ. That you should be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead. That we should bring forth fruit to God. What he's talking about is this. He's talking about a new marriage. And in the new marriage. What he's telling us is this. That the only way to be divorced from Moses. Is, is there has to be a death. And when you're divorced from that, now you can be married to Jesus. You can come into this new covenant. You're no longer bound under an old agreement. You're now in a new agreement. He uses it as the symbol of marriage. For somebody who's going to remarry, there has to be the death of this spouse in order for that remarriage to occur or a new marriage to occur. And then, if you will, chapter 10 of Romans verse 1 <clears throat> Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Many people do. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. God's righteousness. Think about that. And they're going about, they're ignorant of God's righteousness, so they go about establishing their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. <clears throat> I want you to know something. Our churches are full of people like that. Our churches are full of people who are trying to establish their own righteousness. A great zeal for God. But it's not going to cut it. It's not going to be sufficient when you meet God. And so what he tells us is this, that there is a righteousness which is of God. And that only comes through grace. It comes through believing in the only provision God has given us, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we believe in that provision, then the righteousness of God is given to us, not by merit, but by faith. The other righteousness is the righteousness men try to have by merit. I will earn this. Now, a lot of us would say that, of course, we can't earn our salvation. Our salvation is given to us freely by the grace of God when we believe. That is true. But here's where Moses comes in. After we get saved, now we're put back under Moses so that we can live a holy life. But as I read to you, those works are dead works. As you've received the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
Your life is never to change after you get saved as far as how you relate to God. You continue to relate to God by grace through faith. Now, Paul says this in Philippians 3. I just wanted to read this with you. He says in, in, in verse 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I mourn. He gives his reasons. Talks about zeal in verse 6, persecuting the church. He touched the righteousness that was in the law. He even says he was blameless. But he says in verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ The righteousness which is of God by faith. I pray that's the righteousness you have. I pray that's the righteousness that you rest in. Because without this righteousness, you're not going to make it to heaven. And without this righteousness, you're still going to suffer the full wrath of God for your sin. This righteousness of God is a gift. He gives it freely. But I want you to understand something. When this grace comes to you, it is powerful. It will cause you to love God. It will cause you to go after God. It will affect you and it will change you. And it will influence you. It is not coming passively into your life. It is coming like a hurricane into your life. It's going to disturb you. It's going to shake everything up in your life. And what's going to happen is it's going to teach you that there is nothing in this world that compares to Jesus Christ. And you are going to forsake everything for him. And I ask you, is this the kind of grace that's come to you? I'm not talking about perfection. But I'm talking about an overall conviction. That not only is Jesus everything to me. But I recognize the things that compete with Jesus in my life. And I agree with God to remove them from me. That the sole desire of my life is to serve him. And to serve his kingdom on the earth. That that's what I desire to do. Is that the effect of grace on your life? I want to forgive people. I want to be kind I want to be tender-hearted. I want to be merciful. Maybe I'm not murdering people, but maybe I'm not thankful either. And to be unthankful is not appropriate. And the Holy Spirit shows me these things. So I want to close with this as we're coming into these works. And I just say these things to you because 
works, you, you, you might, I don't say, well, when are you going to give us the list of good works to do? I hope you understand now there's not a list of good works. There's a relationship with God. It's the person of Christ in our life. So I want to close with Titus chapter 2. Because some of you are saying, well, you know, you don't have to be all of that. If grace comes to you, it's going to disturb your whole life. It's going to disturb your prayer life. It's going to disturb your church life. It's going to disturb your friendships. And if you've got a Christianity that's not being disturbed by those things, check your Christianity. I mean, really, check it. Because whatever you're hoping in to get you to heaven, if it's not getting you out of things that are not honoring to God, you need to be concerned. Because he says this in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. So who's teaching you? Grace. The grace of God teaches us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So the grace of God that comes into your life. What's one of the things it's going to begin to do? It's going to teach you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God is going to teach you that you should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world, not just when you get to heaven. The grace of God is going to do that. Is there something at work inside of you doing this? The grace of God is going to cause you to look for the rapture, the coming of Jesus Christ. Which verse 13 speaks about is the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God that comes into your life teaches you how to deny ungodliness. We want a sermon to do that. And that's why so many people give up on Christianity. Because they get the sermons that tell them how to control their temper. How to crucify or kill their lust. And they go out and practice it for a few weeks or a few months only to keep failing. Eventually say, I tried Christianity and I give up. Because they want, a, they want a sermon to do it. No, the grace of God does it. The grace of God teaches you not only that you should deny ungodliness, it teaches you how to deny ungodliness. And worldly lust. And the grace of God not only teaches you what not to do. It fills you up with what to do. How to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. I have said so many times in my life before God and friends. What do I do? What do I do? What do we do? What do we do? As though there's something out there, if I could, there's got to be some other element, if I could grab a hold of it, all of my problems would be solved. No, there's one thing, and that's for grace to teach me. Teach me. I have nothing else. I have no one else but the grace of God to teach me. And because you're under grace, you've come to the realization there's absolutely nobody better than you and nobody worse than you. We're all the same. There was only one righteous, only one good. And the problem that so many people have coming to grace 
is you still think you're pretty good. Yeah, you got some faults, but I'm not that bad. And to that degree, you don't need grace. And to that degree, you'll look down on other people. So put on Christ and receive the righteousness of God. And when this righteousness of God comes to you, it is going to storm into your life and shake everything up. And it will not let you live how you want to live. It will affect you. The Holy Ghost will deal with you and he will change you. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace that you give us. I thank you that grace is our teacher. I thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us from the law through the cross of Jesus. That, Lord, our sins have been paid for. Our penalty has been paid for. Your wrath has been satisfied against our sin because of your son, Jesus. And now, Lord, we pray for this grace that comes and teaches us how to live. That gives us the power to live. And, Father, the joy to live this life with you. Father, I thank you so much that we can worship you in the spirit and not in the flesh. Because of Jesus Christ and your great love for us. Help us to walk in the victory of the new covenant. Help us to have the good works of faith. To believe what you said and to step out on what you said. I just ask you and give you an opportunity for the next couple of minutes to just sit before the Lord, come to the altar, just worship God, let grace have its work. Maybe you just pray, God, I need your grace to come to me. I need you to teach me. I need to have a receptivity. I need to be able to learn. Help me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. How do I mortify the members of my body? Help me to know how to do that by the Spirit. Teach me. You're my teacher. You're my teacher. We love rules. We love principles. But you are our answer. You are our salvation. Take this time with the Lord. Press into Him. His arms are open to you. He's not against you.